Hi, welcome to Fuming. I'm Taylor Moss, and this is my podcast. Uh, today is episode two, talking about paints and their volatile organic compounds, aka what they release into the ozone. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different as I'm not just going to be talking to myself. I have my first guest, Morgan Pugh, who is a person that I've known since high school when we met in biology, and now she's doing incredible things at the University of Hawaii. Uh, We spend about an hour talking about bugs and what they emit and grass and how it actually ties into paint fumes and how we can be more responsible paint by number enthusiasts and house painters alike. I also want to give a massive shout out and thank you to Clara Maurer for creating the new intro and outro for this podcast. Um, This support has been absolutely overwhelming and I am so grateful because this is something that I am so passionate about and I hope to continue to do for a while. Without further ado, let's get started. Welcome, Morgan. All right, we're good to go. Hi. Hey. How are you? I know I just asked you that when we weren't recording, but I thought I'd ask again. Still doing well. Amazing. Um, I wanted to introduce you first. So you're Morgan Pugh. You are attending the University of Hawaii. In your master's, you're in your master's program right now, but you're on track for a PhD, right? Well, so I graduated from undergrad from UH2. Now I'm doing my master's, contemplating the PhD, or if I'm all done. Gotcha. Okay. And what is your current concentration in your master's? So right now it's entomology, which is bugs. Mm -hmm. Um, But I throw some biochemistry in there every once in a while to spruce things up. (laughs) Keep it interesting. Keep you busy, right? Exactly. Um, what got you interested in, in bugs specifically? Like, why did you want to dedicate a whole thesis to it? Um, so it's what I wanted to do when I was like four. Like, I don't know, randomly, that's just what I decided like I wanted to be when I grew up. Then like as I went through school, that kind of changed a lot. It was always something like biological sciences, but it definitely switched between like zoology, marine bio, bio all that sort of stuff. And then my senior year of college, um, I had to take an elective and entomology entomology happened to fit my schedule well, so I took it. And then in that class, um, the professor was like, hey, is anyone graduating in December and wants a job? I was like, yeah, I'll do it. So I was like, I'll try it out, see if I like it. So. And then here you are, studying bugs for a living. With your dog, right? You're doing something with your dog? Yeah, so that's actually where kind of all of this ties together with the biochemical side of things is using my puppy, Winnie. Oh, I love that. I wish I could use my cat, but all he does is scratch up my hands because I'm not petting him enough. So that doesn't work out in my favor for this. Um, So another thing really interesting about you is that you've lived all over the world. Um, You've lived in Germany, I know for sure, and obviously Rhode Island and now Hawaii. But where have been some other kind of like? Okay, so born in California, then Me Virginia. Too. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so then we moved from there to Virginia, then to Hawaii, then back to Virginia, Germany, North Carolina, Rhode Island, DC, Virginia Beach, back to Hawaii again. All right. So. Wow. (laughs) I also grew up in the military, so I'm very used to moving houses every year. We always stayed in the Mm -hmm. States um, and then moved every three years until I was 10. So nothing as intense as that (laughs) kind of uprooting. Um, So one of the things that I want to get into later is kind of like, have you noticed any drastic changes in attitudes towards environmentalism while you've been moving around? Yeah, I mean, that's a huge, like, thing that you realize, especially focused on environmentalism, because you see changes in people's, like, personalities and stuff as you move around, but that's, like, a big topic that definitely changes, and then I've lived kind of super different places, like, if you think about North Carolina, and then you think about Hawaii and Germany, like, the way people see the environment in North Carolina is very, very different than how people see the environment in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think people here are, are much more connected to the environment because we have to be. We're like the most isolated island chain in the world. So if we mess it up, like 
we're just stuck floating in the middle of the Pacific <laughs> Ocean. Yeah. So kind yeah. of a life or death situation. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. I miss living in Hawaii. I lived there when I was from in second grade. Um, mm-hmm. and I've always hated the beach and I've always been afraid of the water. So it wasn't a great fit, uh, right. but I appreciate the beauty and like how it kind of formed from like volcanoes and like how you kind of treat the land as if it's, you know, you're giving back to it, which I, I did notice right. was a huge theme. Um, so I don't know if it's made sense yet why I, you know, I'm doing a podcast that's on the environmentalism of art, specifically paint fumes right now, because I feel almost guilty being a painter because I know how toxic it can be. So I'm kind of like on the hunt for like the most sustainable form of creating. And so you have a ton of experience with biochem and just like knowing what to look for when you're looking at all of these numbers because they can get super overwhelming and all of like the U's with like the lines next to them. I have no idea what they mean. I have never taken a chemistry class except from like high school. So it's all self-taught. And I thought I would go to like a master's thesis person who actually understands what she's doing. Um, I want to understand from an entomologist how volatile organic compounds work and then apply it to the paint fumes. I want to kind of just like pick your brain. Um, Because with paint VOCs, they dissipate over time as the chemicals vaporize. That's how VOCs work. And then most of the off-gassing happens for up to six months, depending on the binders and thinners. Um, Goes straight into the ground ozone. So, you know, when you open your window to air out the room that you just painted in, it's it's literally just going straight into the smog and the air that you breathe for about six months. Um, The most common VOC in paint or any sort of like staining or woodwork or anything is formaldehyde, which is a hydrocarbon, which I found really interesting because it's only one molecule different from H2O, but it's extremely toxic and you don't want it in your air. Um, So I, you know, it's something that I can't really teach myself. It's, there's so much to kind of grasp. So firstly, if you want to explain what VOCs are, I feel like you'd have a better definition than I would. Yeah, definitely. So I had only really thought about VOCs in the way that I use them, um, which are kind of plant defenses and signaling mechanisms. But then I looked a lot deeper into it in preparation for this. So I learned a lot too. Oh, cool. Okay. So plant volatiles are what we call secondary metabolites. So a metabolite is just an intermediate or end product of metabolism, which just means it's a small molecule. Um, A primary metabolite is something that that directly affects the growth, development, or reproduction of a plant. So it's something that the plant really needs to survive, whereas a secondary metabolite is a small molecule that isn't required for normal function. Volatiles are emitted by plants in response to abiotic and biotic factors. So an abiotic factor would be something like a drought, um, whereas a biotic would be like herbivory, so an insect feeding on the plant. So both of those can make the plant emit volatiles. And then these volatiles are different based on what's happening to the plant. So a a volatile that's emitted by the plant in response to herbivory is different than a volatile emitted because of an abiotic factor. So they have like a whole range of different things they can emit and it depends on what's happening. One like easily recognizable plant volatile, just to give people kind of a a heads up about what they are. When you mow the lawn and you like smell that fresh cut grass smell, like that's a plant volatile. And Yeah, and so I thought it was just a plant. nice consequence. I had no idea it had like a biological reason. Right. So it's okay. pretty much the grass like screaming that a lawnmower is cutting it. Oh, okay. And so then the other grass like ups their plant defenses because they they get that chemical on them and they're like, Oh my god, there's a lawnmower coming. So oh then they god. try to like up their defenses. Yeah. So that's what a plant volatile is. Um okay, so then the plants that are releasing these Um, volatiles we'll call them emitters and then we'll call the ones that are um, like getting the signals we'll call them receivers so when the emitter is under stress and releases the volatiles which are recognized by the receivers 
it causes the receivers to start emitting as well. So when that cut grass sends out the smell, it goes to the uncut grass, but then the uncut grass makes it too. So it's like if one kid on the playground is like getting chased by a bee and starts running around screaming and then the other kids start screaming, running around too, like there's no bee for them, but still like everyone's freaking out. Okay. That's kind of what happens. Now that we've talked about what VOCs are and how they travel from one plant to another, we should probably talk about what they do. Um, so they do a lot of different things. Uh, there's like thousands and thousands of different volatiles that plants can emit and they all do different things. Um, some of these are like defense against predators. So some signals can cause them to like gain more trichomes, which are like the pointy things on leaves. You know, when you like try to pick a, a leaf and sometimes it kind of sticks your finger a little bit. Yeah. That's a trichome. Okay. So if one plant emits a signal that something's feeding on it, then the other plant receives that signal. It can start producing more of those trichomes okay. so that um, like they have better defense against it or like like a drought happens, then that'll signal to the other plants that like they need to conserve their water use. God, so this is all like very so simple. Plants are so smart. <laughs> they really are. So that's like a very simplified way of looking at it, but pretty much scientifically pretty accurate. Right. Um, they can also attract pollinators and then it helps them communicate between other plants. Um, and then in, I always get this question in my work, like do all plants emit the same types of volatiles like if a zucchini is getting eaten by a bug can that signal to like an apple that bugs are coming right Which, no <laughs> um they're they're pretty like species specific and one of the reasons why they think that is is because these volatiles probably came about after the plants differentiated so you think about like a tree of life yeah and they all evolved this like towards the tip so kind of like I don't know if you remember in like intro to bio or AP bio or whatever in high school, there's always that diet. I thought I took AP bio. That's so nice of you. You know, there's always like a diagram in any bio textbook, I think, that has like a bat compared to a bird compared to a butterfly. And it's like trying to tell you about analogous structures. Mm -hmm. So like they all have wings, but it's very different. Yeah. Their wing forms. So it's kind of like that. Like they all developed the capability to produce volatile chemicals, but they did it in different ways with kind of the same end goal. Okay. So it's a yeah. defense mechanism that was created after, is thought to be created after species separated as mm -hmm. a way to kind of like, it's kind of like um, Darwinism, like just trying to make sure that they stay alive and, you know, keep everything else around them alive in order to protect like the ecosystem and, you know, what's going on despite all of the environmental factors and despite like bees coming and being chased and then those kids run on top of the grass and the grass is like screaming for help, you know, that whole yeah. domino effect. Um, so does that mean that all VOCs for plants are defense or are there any other times that they just really feel like letting it out? Yeah. So again, like attracting the pollinators, they can emit VOCs for that. Um, there's really like a lot. They have a lot of different chemicals that they do all sorts of crazy things with, but it's mostly like to help keep the, keep the plant alive in some way. Okay. Um, that's what these are for. Okay. So we've covered the fact that different plants emit different VOCs, um, but it's even more complex than that. Plants emit different compositions of chemicals depending on what the stressor is. So like we previously mentioned, an abiotic factor like desiccation, which just means drying out, will cause a plant to release a different scent than a biotic stressor, like being fed upon, right? So mm -hmm. it, it yells a different word when it's being fed upon than when it's drying out. So why do plants emit volatile chemicals? Um, I'll give you an example. So let's say a cabbage plant is being fed upon by aphids. The cabbage yells, aphids are eating me, right? So that signals to the cabbage when they're being fed upon to kind of yell that, right? And then those are picked up by natural predators in the environment, like bigger bugs or parasitoids or something. And they all come and they find that aphid because that cabbage yelled, there's an aphid on me. Then all the other bugs can come and find the aphid. How would like one insect find a teeny tiny aphid on a plant? And mm -hmm. it's not because they like can sniff out the aphid. It's because they can sniff out the plant volatile chemicals that are coming off of the plant. Mm -hmm that yell, there's aphids on me. So then they all flock over there. 
So in the paint industry, those volatile like emissions, they call it off-gassing. Is mm-hmm. there any similar terminology in the plant and etymology world? Yeah, so that's normally just like emission, right? So that's them like spraying it out. But then I did find in my research, I had never looked into off-gassing because for me, like I'm interested in what the volatiles do like the second that they're emitted, right? Mm-hmm. But I was like, they have to go away at some point. Like they can't just linger there forever. And I did find out that plant volatiles do off-gas as well. Interesting. And I've got some big facts for you later on that. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, and then what I didn't learn about until my first entomology class was parasitoids. So we talked about like parasites a lot, right? So something feeding off of a host. But then there's also parasitoids, which feed off of something, but they don't necessarily kill it. So in the insect world, there's like a crazy amount of parasitoids that just no one besides like biologists really talks about, which is kind of weird because they're like everywhere. There's almost like, there's pretty much one for almost every insect species, right? They're these crazy wasps. And what they do is they, the adult wasps lay their eggs inside of the the larva of other insects. And then those eggs hatch inside. They eat most of the insect, but not the brains or like the heart or anything that's, that's really keeping the insect alive. And then when they're ready, they crawl out. So then they kill the larva and crawl out and they emerge as adults and it starts again. But when people talk about VOCs in entomology, a lot of it is like parasitoid host recognition so that the parasitoids can find places to lay their eggs. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I liked the movie, but I don't think I could, like, do a whole class of parasites. Um, yeah, um, if you're interested, I'd recommend looking it up on YouTube, Parasitoid Wasps. It's pretty gross, but it is super, super cool. Like, I'm going to write it down and tell you that I did. And, okay. Uh, yeah. So now we know that VOCs are small molecules used for signaling between plants and other plants, as well as plants and animals. Um, but what really are these chemicals? Well, they're smells, right? Like we talked about with the grass. Um, and that's kind of what I use them for at work. Right now I'm working on a project that has dogs trying to sniff out the different plant volatiles emitted from zucchinis that are uninfested, mechanically damaged, like a pinprick, or have eggs laid in them by a fruit fly. So I have a bunch of zucchinis and I poke some with a hole. I poke some with a hole and then let insects lay eggs in them and then I leave some totally normal and then I go down the line and try to train the dogs to sniff out just the ones that have eggs laid inside of them. The flies lay eggs through like these teeny tiny holes that you can't really see just by looking at the plant so it'd be super helpful if you could just have a dog that could tell you when the eggs are inside of it. Yeah. Um, And then like if you can do that then you can pick those plants that have eggs in them, throw them away and then they don't hatch and there's no adults to lay more eggs. So that's amazing for yeah, like, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, we'll see. So far so good, but still early. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's looking pretty successful, which is good, which means that these dogs can sniff out these volatiles. We think there's no scientific proof yet, but we're working on it. <laughs> um, but there have been studies that have done the same kind of idea um but instead of using dogs they use like mechanical scent detection devices and they could um there was a difference in the volatile chemicals between the plants that were just picked by a pin versus the ones that had just the little eggs laid inside of it meaning that there was a difference in the volatiles emitted by the plants with the eggs in it versus the ones that had been mechanically damaged so interesting interesting stuff that the the plant knows that there's something inside of it i guess yeah that's kind of my work with fall tiles. All that stuff put together is what I do at work. Um, but now we'll get into maybe where science and biology kind of overlap. I know they're making like STEM. It used to just be STEM, right? Yeah. They're now like trying to push it to be STEAM. They did like- that. Yeah, they did that at the school that I used to work at, um, mainly because they separated like the three floors and they were like, what can we call each floor to make it like super special? But like steam, I mean, art has like a lot to do with chemistry. It's just right. kind of always been like studied as like an art history rather than like a cause and effect, which is what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. And like the history of color is like fascinating. 
to me. Yeah, I just watched a video on it on YouTube. It like popped up and I was like, I'm going to be on a podcast later. Like I'll watch this. <laughs> and it was about like pigments and stuff going uh, into oil-based paints. Yep. Crazy that is stuff. my sweet spot. I love it. Yeah. I love it so much. Um, okay. So yeah, let's do it. Let's get into the steam part of STEM. So do you have any experience with like understanding the, the chemical volatiles or is it mostly just plant-based? I mean, I know they're both chemicals, but I mean like chemicals emitted from like man-made products rather than plants. Um, so not directly, but it's, I've been researching it for this and it's pretty much the same idea. Cool. Okay. Um, yeah. And I had, I'd never really researched what happens to even the plant volatiles after the signaling process was done. Cause I've never had to do that for my work. And I figured they would just disappear, which like as a scientist is like so dumb. Like, I don't know why I just thought that they were just going to like go away. Sometimes That's- it's easier to just think that of like, yeah, it's just easier yeah. to think that they're going to go away. Yeah. So it, it turns out they don't disappear. Who would have guessed? Um, and it turns out a lot of plants emit like really, really high amounts of volatile chemicals from their leaf surfaces, one of which is um, called isoprene. And that actually adds more carbon to the atmosphere every year than all of methane. So like you think of like cows like pooping yeah. and like destroying the apparently plants are like doing worse, which is something I learned. For oh this. my god. Yeah, so six hundred million tons of carbon every year is added to the atmosphere by plant leaf volatiles. That feels like a betrayal. We're trying to save them and they're actually picking Yeah, the exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm still shocked, honestly. Why? What is causing them to emit that? Because you said it's a defense against something. What are they defending themselves against? Right. So that isoprene is something that's being studied right now. And they think that it helps plants when they undergo heat shock. So oh, let's just global say the warming. temperature gets a little mm-hmm. warmer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's really hard to measure volatiles, yeah. especially in a natural setting, because first of all, it's pretty new technology. Like, anything smell related, like we don't have a lot of data on right now. Um, so it's hard to measure, but they did a good enough job to know that like it's rising and there's a good chance that it's going to keep rising because of a warming climate. Boy, Morgan, I feel like we're onto some really groundbreaking stuff and (laughs) the EPA is going to contact us in the next couple days because yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like 90% sure. (laughs) Yeah. So that was like my question was, I thought plants were like supposed to be cleaning carbon from the atmosphere, but turns out they're also causing it um, by their smells, which kind of interesting. All right. Yeah. And also like isoprene, these chemicals are really expensive for, for plants to make. So like the term expensive is something we, we use pretty often in biology and it just means it takes up a lot of energy. It takes up a lot of resources, right? So this chemical has to be doing something important for the plant because they wouldn't spend all of their energy, all of their water, all of their light energy, like all of this they're spending to make this chemical. So yeah. there's a lot of research to be done on why plants are really shooting this stuff out. Um, but yeah, they're thinking it has to do with a little bit of global warming. Oh, God. Yeah, global warming, that's what I'm, once we get into it a little bit later, <laughs> is something that I'm also thinking about when it comes to just like the paint fumes and we'll yeah. get, yeah. But yeah, crazy. Are they kind of in one condensed area or are they kind of spread out across the globe? Oh, the isoprene? Yeah, oh, isoprene, not isotopes. Sorry, that's <laughs> definitely not what I meant. <laughs> um, yeah, they were saying in this article I read, I can't remember exactly what they said, but I linked that article too, I think. But um, it's like anywhere where there's like large forests, they're finding it, but also it's a volatile chemical. So it just kind of like disperses, right? Like it's not staying in one area because wind, air, all sorts of stuff. It's kind of moving. Okay. So just like you thought that it just kind of disappears, I thought that it could only go so far. I forgot that wind was a thing and that could get... <laughs> Great. Okay. That adds a whole other level. All right. Let's keep going. <laughs> so. VOCs react with NOx, which is, I remember, it was not, oh my goodness, it was. It's just any nitrogen, oxygen compound, right? So the X after the O is just some number. 
So it could be NO, NO2, NO3. Actually didn't know that. Okay, cool. So nitrogen oxide um, to create ozone molecules. Um, so you were saying that it's, this is still pretty new technology when it comes to volatiles. And so this isn't like necessarily smell. So I was wondering if there's like a way to kind of trap these molecules before off-gassing occurs. Um, so what I figured out from that is no. <laughs> so you can't get it before they um, are released from something, but you can suck it out of the air. So there's like filters you can use. You'll see on Facebook, like those like silly minion memes, you know, like all sorts of like things people like to post there or like on Pinterest. And it's like top plants to clean the air in your house. Oh, Actually, yeah. Saw, I saw some of that in like one of the papers I was reading and I like checked and it was not a scientific research journal. Anyways, so that's like kind of BS. It's not like you can cure all the formaldehyde in your house. You can't suck it out with plants. You could if you follow the study directly, which is what everyone is getting this information from. It was in like the late 1980s. There was a NASA astronaut and he thought one way to clean the air when he was in space would be to bring plants with him, which worked out really good for him because he was stuck in like a 10 foot by 10 foot sealed box with no airflow, no anything. So sure, if you put a lot of plants in there, they can kind of take care of that. But since we have wind and airflow and all sorts of stuff, like that's not going to work for us. But they do have carbon filters and okay. those are like getting better and better every year. Yeah. So, Well, it's interesting to me because people will be sure to wear their like carbon, like their N95 masks before they go into paint because they understand how toxic it is. Mm -hmm. But I mean, even when I was studying painting in school, like I never thought of just like letting it outside. Right. Like I knew how toxic it was to me. I knew of like the top, the hazardous paint bucket that was like in the corner. Yeah. And it's still like going down the drain when you wash all of your tools and stuff like that, it's going straight outside and it's, you know, it's not something that you can kind of trap because otherwise you're incubating it. And I feel like that would make it even worse. Yeah. And something I did find out um, was that after painting or something, you can up the, a level of POCs or POVs, sorry, <laughs> POVs in your house by up to like a thousand times the level that it is outside. So POVs, could you just clarify that? Oh, it's the same thing. The plant volatiles. Oh, okay. Sorry. I only know them as POCs. Okay. So POVs. Yeah. So hi, this is uh, Taylor editing in here and Morgan just wanted to clarify that she didn't mean POVs or POCs, they are called PVCs, as in plant volatile compounds. There is no such thing as a POC going into the wind. So sorry about that. Hope that's clarifies some things. Up to a thousand times. Yeah. So you can have these chemicals that are like concentrated so severely in your house. So I imagine just like opening a window, it's just, just rushing out of there. Jeez. So it can't be good. Yeah, because you can't avoid it. I mean, the whole point of paint is that it dries. And the reason that it dries is because anything that isn't sticking to the canvas just gets released. Right. So, you know, if you're using more of the oil-based paints, they use this thinner that's um, extremely toxic. And that's why a lot of people are using more water-based paints and latex paints. Mm -hmm. um, because then they're actually using that as both the thinner and the binder instead of just, you know, the thinner and then a separate binder. Right. And so there's less being emitted, but I mean, you can't really get away from it. So yeah. there are, there are more pilots being done actually at a Navy base or a military base in Maryland. Um, mm -hmm. They decided to follow the EPA's regulations when it came to house painting and switched over to only green certified house paints. And we're tracking the levels of carbon in the air and like the air pollution in general. Um, and noticed a huge difference once they actually did that. And also the paint distributors noticed that they were already selling some of those paints anyway. They just had no mm. idea that they were doing an environmentally conscious paint. Right. They just hadn't well. labeled them. Right. Um, and so like that area is doing really well with its air pollution um, compared to like LA where houses are being painted all the time. And I can assure right. you that they are not green labeled. Um, and they're very, yeah. they're not as, they're not much more expensive either. Like that's the whole misconception is that like 
green label is more expensive, but. Yeah, we talked about a lot in like one of the seminar classes that I'm in is like in order for any change to occur, it has to be profitable, right? So should we get rid of pesticides? Like you're not, that's not even a question you should ask unless you can make it more profitable to get rid of pesticides than you can to use pesticides. So like, should we get rid of these super toxic paints? And it's like, shoulda, coulda, woulda, like you're not going to do anything unless it's profitable and people aren't just losing money to feel better about the environment and their environmental footprint, because that is a really small niche market, like people who want to do good for the planet, but you're not going to get big building companies to buy green paint unless they're not losing any money by doing so. Yeah. So that's a whole other battle. (laughs) But for like the painters at home, I think it would be, you know, super easy to just kind of make a switch for like an extra couple dollars um, to know that your, you know, respiratory health and your cancerous health is like doing okay in your house because you're not using. Right. And we talk about it like a lot at school is like, you could brand it to be cool, right? Like, and then people are are more willing to buy it, but just by people saying like, oh, this isn't going to give you cancer, whereas the other one is, but you're going to have to spend three more dollars. Like people are like, I'll take the cancer, right? No biggie. Yeah. But then if you're like, oh, you can post this on your Instagram and say that it was environmentally conscious, then they were like, okay, like I'll think about that. Well, that's interesting where like influencers come in. So like I, I am obsessed with like Emma Chamberlain. And like, if she tells me to like, enjoy a certain cup of coffee I will enjoy that certain cup of coffee like no doubt in my mind um and so like a lot of these influencers are being like I just saw one that was um she was a face for a birth control pill and I was like Mm -hmm. this is getting really like mature at this point it's no longer just like skinny tea it's like birth control that really affects people's lives and I'm really curious to see more environmentally conscious things being sponsored by people who kind of have a little bit more um of a platform I hope yeah I get a little I I get a little worried in the other direction right I like keep getting all these videos recommended to me like top 10 things to buy on Amazon I'm like wait you don't need 10 more things from Amazon (laughs) exactly yeah that's the other thing yeah yeah it's crazy but then if people were saying like top 10 environmentally friendly changes to make in your house like maybe we're on to something Right. Maybe I'll just sponsor a couple of them on my own. It'll be fine. Yeah, should be good. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the next thing I was getting into, um, and I kind of hinted out, you know, when you just kind of release all of the paint fumes outside and don't think anything of it, I didn't even know that they moved. You know, you had this preconception of they just disappear. I think it's easy because there's no regulations for air toxins. Right. Um, only monitoring the ozone, but you're monitoring the ozone based on its interaction with the air toxins that aren't regulated. So it feels like you're not addressing any of the cause. You're just looking at the effects. Um, Right. So do you think that this like exacerbates the problems? Yeah, I definitely think that it makes the problem worse. Um, But I think in the the next few years, we're going to learn a lot more about volatiles, whereas right now, again, it's still pretty new. People don't really talk about it. Um, Super understudied field. But I think as soon as it gets a little more studied, we'll see a little bit more legislation be put in place. I know places like California and the EU and Japan have started labeling things that contain formaldehyde with... That's big. um, Yeah, and it has like how much formaldehyde is present and how much it off-gasses. And then... They're now like allowing places in California to sell upholstered things without fire retardant in them because that was like off gassing like crazy. Yeah. Um, so I think we're going to see more changes like that being made in the future because, you know, California is always like ahead of the game environmentally. So I think people will soon follow suit. Um, yeah. But we'll see. But I definitely think that um, there needs to be more regulation on all of these toxins that we're releasing and not just what happens to them once they hit yeah. the air. Well, it's cause it's like, it's playing catch up at that point. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of impossible to do that when you have an entire population so used to painting a certain way or, you know, going right. about their daily life and upholstering a certain way. Exactly. Um, but I think my concern is that, you know, kind of like you can't trap molecules before they go into the ozone. 
how do you regulate air toxins since you can't see them? It's like the smell of, you know, the POCs. You can't really quantify it unless you're really getting into the nitty gritty on the paint can to like add up how many, you know, um, volatiles you're releasing even. Yeah. Also like going into the whole subject of off gassing, like what the heck even is off gassing? Like, is it, is it plants that are doing it? Is it paint that's doing it? So um, it's just the release of volatile compounds, right? So PVCs, VOCs, whatever you want to call them. Um, so pretty much everything we buy right now has been treated by like crazy amounts of chemicals before it gets to your doorstep, right? Like your couch, your chair, your table, your rug, your walls, your anything that you buy has been treated with like massive amounts of chemicals. And when you bring that home and you open up the plastic, it's just releasing all of that into your air. Um, one really good example of that is like the new car smell. You know, we love yes, it. it yeah. fresh, but like that's your car off gassing, right? We're breathing it in. It smells so good. Mm. <laughs> and then like we talked about earlier, the rate of off gassing does increase with temperature. So that new car, if you park it out in the sunshine in Hawaii, is gonna, you're gonna smell the new car smell a lot more than if it was kept in a cold garage in Rhode Island. You're not gonna smell that, that fragrance anymore. So the, the temperature definitely affects the amount of off-gassing that does occur. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's not great. <laughs> yeah. So as we know, it's getting a little warmer outside. Mm -hmm. So it's something that we, we need to think more about and not just us as like concerned citizens and scientists, but legislators as well, because I think it's going to be a much bigger problem going forward. Well, especially because like VOCs with paint, they begin dissipating at room temperature. So, mm -hmm. you know, when you're painting during the winter, you're kind of, that's like the best time to be painting because everything is kind of like contracted and it's harder to, you know, release as it normally does. Um, but, you know, now that the temperature is kind of warm year round when it definitely shouldn't be, uh, those, it's going to be a lot harder to control that. Um, and it's like there's going to be no, like no stall to the vaporizing. So like with global warming, I kind of foresee an increase in both VOCs and smog um, and just like any of the air pollutants, because I don't think there's going to be a time when it can take a break. Right. So back to smog, kind of how VOCs relate to smog. Um, so those VOCs that are emitted by your new car, your couch, the plants, everything, um, they go up into the air and they mix with methane gas and carbon monoxide in the air. Um, then a little bit of sunshine comes in and warms it up and then they mix with that NO3. So what we were talking about earlier. Um, and then all of that comes together to make O3. So O3 is what they call tropospheric ozone, which is also known as smog. So literally all these VOCs are mixing with a little bit of methane, a little bit of nitrogen oxides, and like some sunshine pours on there, and then you have smog. So that's, that's what all these things are kind of leading to, which is then something that we get to breathe back in again, which isn't awesome. Did you notice um, any like specific, when, when you were living like in different places, did you notice different levels of concentration of that smog? Because like living in Hawaii, you have beautiful weather year round. How is the air pollution doing there compared to like living in Germany? Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say there's a huge difference in air pollution, um, like especially because I've lived in like different areas of all these places. So I just moved from Kailua, which is like kind of suburbs, like not a city life. And then now I'm living in downtown Honolulu. So it's like bustling. Well, it would be if it weren't for Corona. Yeah. Um, and then like in Germany, I lived in a small town. So I wouldn't necessarily, there's like, I wouldn't necessarily say there's that much of a difference um, in the overall air quality. Like I'm sure there is, but nothing that my lungs can detect. But then the attitude around air quality legislation, I definitely see a huge, huge difference in. Um, so in, let me see. Oh, yeah. So in Germany, people like, kind of follow the rules. The government tells you what to do. You do it, right? 
that's just, it is what it is. Um, so they say we need to clean up the air. They put in the legislation. You have to follow it by law. Whereas here we kind of like tried to get the influencers to tell us to do it rather than having the government say, you must do this. Mm -hmm. um, at least that's how I, how I kind of interpreted interpreted it. <laughs> there we go. Um, and then in Hawaii, most people are pretty environmentally aware. Uh, they make good choices for the environment when they can because like it affects all of us on a daily basis. No one wants to go surfing in smog, you know, kind of yucky. Um, and people here are just much more connected to the natural environment. We feel like a more personal responsibility to keep the island clean. Again, like tiny island, big ocean, like we got nowhere to go. So I think everyone here is just much more responsible for their own well-being, which they know ties into the environment here because we live in Hawaii and the environment just is where you are all the time. Yeah. And then I also live in North Carolina where it's a little less open to change. Um, so as soon as the government tries to tell anyone that they're going to regulate everything, um, people get kind of mad. The whole like, don't tread on me thing is kind of out of hand there. So the government says like, can we please regulate air quality? And they're like, you're taking away my rights to dirty air. Like my grandparents breathe this air and they're just fine. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. It's a little out of hand. Um, but yeah, I haven't necessarily noticed difference in the overall air quality, but in the environment that surrounds that and people's kind of personal responsibility, ethical responsibility, I guess. Yeah. Um, I've definitely seen a huge difference in environmental awareness and what people are willing to do. I'm interested to see in the next few years how, you know, the federal government is going to yeah, well, role in legis you know, in regulating and, and in legislation for states to comply to because it's, it's yeah. getting really bad. And we're, we actually, you know, at the end of the year, we're supposed to be away from the Paris Treaty Agreement, which is where we got a lot of our information and where we, you know, like the EU is not doing too bad, but we're doing too bad. So it's going to just, you know, require a lot of trust in the scientists. And that's all I'm hoping for people to do is just know that people are dedicating their lives to it so that we can have a better life. Yeah, and there's a lot of distrust in science, especially right now, which is so silly. Like, people dedicate their entire lives. They spend millions and millions of dollars to study these things, but, like, people still don't don't trust them. I don't know. Kind of silly. Um, but, yeah, I think it's going to take a lot for these changes to occur because not only do you have to convince the people in Hawaii that they need cleaner air for surfing, like, easy peasy right you have to tell the people in germany that they need to clean up their act easy peasy and you have to like convince the people in north carolina to do the same but then the cleaner air in hawaii costs people in north carolina money mm -hmm. like they don't want to use less um pesticides that create air pollution just because it'll mean nicer things for someone else five thousand right. miles away and then people in hawaii don't want to make changes that are going to affect people on the mainland because it's not affecting them directly. Mm -hmm. So I think it really is going to depend, at least in the near future, on what happens in the next few days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what happens, because I, I see things, I have like kind of a naive perspective on things. Being in a university setting all day long, I talk to other scientists, I talk to professors mm -hmm. who are also scientists, and everyone is on the same page about all of this, right? Like, we need yeah. to clean up our acts, right? We don't have a lot of time left to clean up our acts. And then you like open the door from your lab into the real world and you turn on the news and you're like, yeah, oh my God. Like people yeah. don't believe climate change is real. That still like blows my mind. Yeah. So like, I think it's uh, easy for me to say that we will see changes happen in the near future because like, again, naive point of view, like I'm around scientists, super smart scientists that are doing groundbreaking work every single day. But then like all of the blockades that are put in place by people who refuse to accept that like science is fact is yeah. just kind of crazy. But I think that we're like headed in the right direction at least. And I think there's a lot more people right now that care. There's more people going to like higher education if you look at now versus like the 1980s, we have so many more people just like going to school 
which might be a good thing. Education. Um, yeah, just people learning about the problems that we have because if you don't know that volatile organic compounds are escaping from your house, like you're not going to know to close the windows when you paint and filter it out. You know? Right. Well, that's, so. that's, that's an interesting thing that I wanted to bring up too, is like, what do you suggest like a process would be to contain those VOCs the best, as best we can? And it apparently is closing the windows and putting an air filter in. Yeah, um, I, that's all I could find on like a way to, to limit the spread, I guess, is mm -hmm. just to filter it out. Um, and I mean, I guess avoid high temperatures <laughs> if you can. So throw on the AC, put a nice little filter in there. And I would also say do it for short periods at a time mm -hmm. <laughs> because I, I mean, I love to paint for like eight hours a day. I can't apparently. I, I, it's one, not great for my headaches um, or my lightheadedness, but two, just I think it's easier to contain if it's done in small increments. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because I like do a lot of painting, but not like it's always just like acrylic paints, right? And they don't they don't really smell that bad. There's, I mean, they're water based, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't know the last time that I like touched an oil based paint. Like I had no idea that that they were stinky. Yeah, well, it's it's just because they have um, a lot of alkyd in them. And mm -hmm. so, you know, all of these very clear chemicals that are being used to thin it out because it's so thick and it needs to right. be able to be spread, um, just keep on releasing. And then also you have to use a uh, paint thinner in order to clean off your brushes in between use. So that's right. constantly open. I have these like mineral spirits that are open and then all of seven of my other classmates that are in there at the moment have theirs right. open and just, it's not a great dynamic. Um, art school is really interesting in that way where the culture is just very unsustainable. Um, and mm -hmm. I'm finding that out as I kind of do more research, um, just in the way that paints react with, you know, our own health and the health of our environment. Um, and it's something that I just want to bring a lot more attention to. Um, it's both unsustainable monetarily. There's a lot of people who can't afford it. Um, because it's mm -hmm. very common each semester you get new paints you get new um, boxes of all of your materials and it's like about two to four hundred dollars just for each class for yeah. um, your foundation box um, and it's always brand new stuff because it's kind of looked down upon to use old paint because it's not as pigmented um, it's a little bit harder and needs to be mixed with other chemicals to kind of get it back to its original form um, and, you know, you're just kind of putting it all back into the river or into the water, I mean, or into the air, uh, yeah. rather than learning how to kind of create your own pigments or do it as kind of safely as possible. Um, right. And that's just something that I've kind of discovered over the past few weeks, um, because you go into it so naive of thinking, this is what everybody does. This is the climate. This is what, you know, people have been doing since the art school started. And you know, there's other ways to do it. And I'm just waiting for other people to catch on to that. <laughs> yeah. And I think like living here, people are so conscious of their waste and all sorts of stuff. Like sometimes we, we reuse things in my lab that like when I lived on the mainland, like you would never reuse any of this stuff. You just throw it away and like get a new one. Mm -hmm. And my advisor like, no, 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 wash that out. Like yeah. reuse that, that solo cup. I'm like, Okay. Yeah, sure. I, I work in like a natural food store now um, mm -hmm. that is very environmentally conscious. We have like compost bins out in our backyard and any food that we throw out, like stickers are off, goes straight into the compost bin. Um, everything is recycled separately. And that's taught me a lot too, because yeah. I, you know, not intentionally just live in a very wasteful family. Zero waste has never been a consideration of ours. Um, and it's just kind of like putting in those resources and just like taking like two minutes to teach you a simpler way of taking care of your surroundings. And I think that that's just something that needs to be a little bit more normalized and a little bit more accessible, which is a yeah, whole definitely. conversation I think is the accessibility of environmentalism. Um, yep. so for now, cause I want to get back to a little bit less uh, partisan issues. Um, <laughs> is talking more about formaldehyde because I'm just kind of like obsessed with that right now. I just think it's so fascinating. 
Um, and you talked about at the very beginning, um, VOCs and their low molecular weight. Why is that so important in like the emissions? Yeah. So, I mean, they're volatile, right? Which just means that they, they go into the air, um, which is like kind of something that we've all been hearing a lot about. It's kind of unrelated, but like with Corona, you know, it's like airborne, which is what makes it bad. Right. So all of these are, are airborne. They just go out the window and into the, the atmosphere, um, which makes them tricky to contain. It's not like something that you can just throw away in a bio waste container. Like, and they're, it's so hard to regulate because you open your window, they fly out. No one knows whose volatiles those are. Like, wasn't me. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's really hard. So back to formaldehyde. So I think everyone's kind of heard of formaldehyde before, but it's a colorless gas at room temperature. Um, We all know it's pretty yucky stuff and we try to stay away from it. But I remember in my AP bio class, we were dissecting a fetal pig and my teacher was handling these pigs like they were nuclear waste, right? Like she would not touch it. Like she had gloves on, double gloves, like everything, because she remembers a time when you just grab these out of like a bucket of formaldehyde, put them on the table, and everyone just started cutting. Oh my Whereas, god! <laughs> they're still like preserved in formaldehyde, but they rinse them off with other chemicals so that at least you're not like directly touching the formaldehyde that they used to preserve them in. But still, like you should have seen how she was handling these things. Like it is a very toxic, carcinogenic. Like, why is chemical. it still used? Like, is it just one of the best preservatives? Um. So they use it for a lot of things, which is partially why it's still used. Is It's super versatile. You can use it for um, paint, for houses, dye for your hair, like all sorts of crazy things for cutting up animals, whatever. But the reason we use it is because it's cheap, right? Like uh-huh. it doesn't cost a lot to produce. Um, it's so versatile. You can use it for a lot of things. So formaldehyde is like an easy option. It's, it's cheap. It's versatile. Everyone can use it. We'll just make a whole lot of it. Everyone just take a little formaldehyde. With your double gloves. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the other thing, I think people don't necessarily realize like how toxic it is. Um, Because again, it's just carbon, hydrogen, oxygen put together. Like, yeah, it doesn't doesn't sound sound that bad. It doesn't sound scary. Yeah. You look at a formaldehyde molecule, you're not scared. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of the problem is like, it's a, a byproduct of metabolism, like cellular, it's a, a cellular waste product. So it seems natural, right? Like, yeah, they could get a little green sticker on it, like natural, because it, it's something that our bodies produce. It's something that fish produce. It's something that like everybody produces formaldehyde. But, yeah. but those not- PCOs that the isotrope, is that what it was called? Is- no, I keep saying isotope. Isoprene. Isoprene releases is also mm-hmm. natural and also not great. Exactly. Yeah, so I think since it's a natural product, maybe that's what makes people kind of think it's okay. But again, I think it's just super accessible, super versatile, super cheap. Um, You can get a lot of it with just a little bit of money. So I think that's the problem is money. It's really easy to get. So I guess, yeah, so there's kind of like no way out of it because even if you don't use it, other people are using it. And like you said, you don't know whose VOCs are being released. You just know that they're there. Um, I think that's more of an issue with like big corporations, um, just kind of like with the fashion industry and like all of the waste that's been produced. It's mainly from these big companies like Nestle. um, It's all I can think of at the top of my head, but like just in general, huge chains. Um, And so it's interesting looking at this from like an independent consumer or like a um, individual consumer um, because I would avoid formaldehyde like my life depended on it because it kind of does, but you know, it's cheap, it's easy and it's versatile. So. Yeah. And it does its job, right? Like it does everything that it's meant to do and it does it really well. Yeah. Back to what we were talking about earlier. I think until someone comes up with an alternative that's equally as cheap, equally as versatile, equally as accessible, we're not going to get rid of formaldehyde because why would we like, so what it destroys the planet, like we'll clean it up later. But why would you put research money into that? Because then that's going to cost you money too. And then you don't even know if it's going to have a good outcome. And that's kind of the thing that we get into a lot too, is that 
the people who are giving you the research money are the ones who own the companies that make the formaldehyde. So you're not going to get any of those big grants mm -hmm. to study chemicals when all the chemical companies are owned by people who are trying to keep making money. There was a tweet that I saw the other day that was really funny. It was um, Shell, as in like the gas station, had tweeted, yeah, I saw you, that. yeah, what are you doing to lower your carbon emissions? And someone retweeted it and was like, hey, Shell, are you planning on rechanging like your entire business model? And it's like, why are you placing that burden on us when it's obviously something much bigger than us? And right. I know that a lot of paint cans at the moment are kind of saying that they're formaldehyde free. So people are, it, you know, it's starting to gain a little bit of traction. And yeah, that's same with like hair dye, effective. right? Like you, yeah. can, you can get formaldehyde free hair dye. I'm like, I hope my hair dye doesn't <laughs> have formaldehyde in it. Like it's going on my scalp. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy what we are like giving like applause for Cause it's like, great. You're treating us like human beings that don't want to get cancer. Wonderful. Right. Thank you so much. Yeah. I think it's gonna, be less of a I think it takes people at the bottom to know there's a problem to then tell people at the top that there's a problem but I think that that's where like all of this real change is going to come mm -hmm. into play is like paint companies making formaldehyde free paint paint companies making paint that doesn't release these crazy levels of volatile emissions mm -hmm. so I think like it's important for people to be doing this, educating other people that there is a problem because before two weeks ago when I listened to your first episode, like I didn't know there was a problem with paint, right? Like it's yeah. never crossed my mind. But now like I'm well aware we should yeah. be we should be filtering our air better. We should be filtering our air better. We should be getting those latex paints because they are the least. Mm -hmm. Just use watercolors. Watercolors are so safe. You can make them yourself. Just get a little curry powder or like turmeric from your spice cabinet, a little okay. bit of water and some clove oil and like you're good to go. Like truly. Awesome. I mean, it kind of like wears off, but I think that that's an even cooler. Right. Who even keeps things for long these days, right? Well, like, that's throw everything away anyways. Yeah, well, that, and then also I'm getting into, I, I want to understand this really well so I can get into understanding museums and mm -hmm. how they're, you know, containing all of these really expensive and gigantic paintings and like sculptures and everything. They're being kept at very specific temperatures, but they're also being um, restored with chemicals that were used or similar to what were used when they were painted on so you know it's just kind of like repetitive it's cyclical like there's right. nothing out of it and I'm just I mean it's kind of a rabbit hole I get a little bit of an existential crisis every <laughs> once in a while but um I just think like I just want more people to talk about it and I'm so excited to hear that more research is being done on VOCs in general because yeah, definitely when I started learning about them I'm like this makes no sense to me and now I realize how like gigantic, how big of a piece it is in my own life and, and like everybody else's life. It's a humanitarian issue. It's not just an air. Yeah, I saw a crazy statistic that like, first of all, your house is only supposed to have 200 to 400 micrograms. So that's like a little U with a yeah. G, right? So that's one times 10 to the negative six grams. Mm -hmm. per meter cubed so in a box this big you're supposed to have like you, you can't even visualize how small that is and that's how much the acceptable that's not even good or great that's acceptable yeah it's two to four hundred micrograms per meter cubed so all of us probably have more than that yeah um and in our houses we have two to five times higher than what it is outside normally. If we're doing something crazy, we have up to a thousand times higher. And I read a statistic that 3.8 million people die every year because of in-home pollution. So like, this is a huge problem. Like it's causing people to die literally because like of all these chemicals that are just falling out of things mm -hmm. that you can't see, you can't touch. Like no one yeah. really knows it's happening. When I buy a couch, I don't think about the couch, like poisoning my home. <laughs> Right. And then you're like, should I air it out? And then you're like, but does that also do bad things? Why don't we just like do it from the root of the problem and not put any of those, like, do we need those chemicals is the question. Like, are they serving a purpose? Right. I have no idea. And I think at this point, we're so used to things being like easily accessible and cheap 
that like if you want a couch, you want to be able to go to the store, you want to be able to get a couch wrapped in plastic, bring it home, it needs to be brand new mm-hmm. and it needs to be crisp, right? Which is where yes. a lot of these chemicals come into play is like making things nice and clean. And um, so I, I think like I hate to say it, but I think we're in too deep on that one. Like I don't think yeah. that's a realistic thing is to tell people that you can't have a brand new couch anymore. Well, a lot of people have been doing like Facebook sales and swaps. Yeah. Really, it's, it, that's gotten really big the past yeah. couple of years. Me and then too. Depop and Poshmark, like secondhand and thrifting, secondhand is really, really in right now. And I'm hoping it stays in and, and it isn't just a trend. But, yeah. you know, I, I love picking up things that people have already kind of like given a home to because one, I don't have to break it in as much. And yeah. I don't feel bad if I break it because it's already, you know, served its purpose somewhere. Yeah, it's yeah. Loved. So yeah, that's huge here because yeah, like it's expensive to ship things to Hawaii. So everyone's always trading things back and forth. Like I don't know anyone who's bought a brand new car here because people move away from <laughs> Hawaii so much that everyone yeah. just trades cars. I so. love that. I love that. Um, do you? I guess to kind of like because I think at this point we've kind of covered everything. Um, do you have any like action steps that you would recommend based on our conversations other than like keep it nice and cool in the house when you're painting, um, put in an air filter. If you're going to be doing it to that level, I think artists kind of have more of a um, level of responsibility for that than the average paint by numbers fan. Um, and just like in general, I mean, do, should we keep cutting our grass? Like, are the plants telling us something? Or is it going to get worse if we keep cutting our grass? Um, I think we should keep cutting our grass. Um, and I think we should, well, of course, number one is like we, we got to fix our, our climate issue because these plants are emitting chemicals because it's getting too hot. So mm-hmm. we should probably cool it down. Um, so of course, that's always like number one on the list is like do everything you can to reduce climate change and global warming. Um, another thing is like like fund science. I think is like the only step forward because I don't think I think it'll be really hard to get any legislation passed without like crazy amounts of scientific proof. And we've already shown that sometimes that doesn't even work. Like you can prove a million times over that the climate is warming, and yet yeah. people are still going to pull out of the Paris Agreement. Like. I mean, people have also told us, like, wear a mask, and then others are like, no, that obviously doesn't work, even, like... Yeah, Yeah, there's scientific proof. There's scientific proof. Personally, I think we need to do a little bit more scientific research before um, kind of coming to any huge conclusions about what the next steps are. So I think, like, getting more people invested in it, getting more people interested enough to devote a few years of research to it. But I think, I think, like, there's way to, ways to solve the problem, but I mm-hmm. think that starts with being more knowledgeable about the yeah. subject, which is it's what we're doing here. Yeah. I, opening up STEM to STEAM. I think just kind of like <laughs> applying it to more of a, like a, a, a broader section of interest is really important. Like I'm doing this from my interests of art and art history. I wouldn't have, you know, voluntarily looked up VOCs if it didn't have something that interested me in, in it. So I think like even finding theater or like restaurant businesses and like everything just kind of has a spot on the table because this affects everybody. And I think we all contribute to it. Not, I think we all, we all contribute to it in different levels and we just need to be more conscious and more aware and make other people more conscious and aware. So, yeah. yeah. And again, I feel like I'm pretty well aware of like scientific issues going on, but this, like, I had no idea like that other things release these volatile chemicals the way that, that plants do, because like, I know grass smells when you cut it and I know it stinks when you paint a house, but nothing in me thought that like these two were related and in any way. So I think just like educating people about, the problem Mm -hmm. because no one can solve a problem that they don't know exists. Exactly. So thank you so much for your time and sharing your plethora of knowledge. I am so excited to learn more about Winnie's adventures with the zucchini. Um, Is there any, so you're going to link all of the articles that you read. um, And is there anything else you want to leave us with? 
Mm, use a filter when painting your house. <laughs> yep. Um, and apologize to the grass when you step on it next. Perfect. All right. I'm going to stop recording. Um, okay. Thank you again. I would happily have you on a guest as like a guest again as we continue our research in separate Great. fields and bring it together. Definitely. Um, all right. I think that's it. Yeah, that's fun. I just want to say thank you again to Morgan for taking time out of her very busy schedule to share all of the knowledge that she has accumulated since she was four years old. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please don't hesitate to give it a rating and a review. And if you have any other questions about VOCs or um, anything to do with environmentalism, don't hesitate to leave a comment and I will try to do as much research as I can. If you are interested in anything that Morgan brought up, any of the scholarly articles or the parasitic video, I will have linked them in the description. Talk to you soon. Bye.